Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today from our gospel reading. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. This is our text. Well, as we take down the Christmas trees and the other decorations, as the kids go back to school tomorrow and, and life gets back to normal, it'd be pretty natural to, uh, to think something along the lines, well, Christmas is all over, at least for another year. And of course, there's uh, no denying that. But neither is there a need to dwell on that. That's what's so great about our scripture readings today and about the epiphany season which we enter with this service. It's a reminder, it helps to uh, focus our attention on the fact that we don't have to think so much that, that Christmas is all over, but rather can reflect on the fact that Christ is over all. The Old Testament lesson predicts the, the coming of the wise men and all of the Gentile nations to bow before the Christ, the Messiah. In today's epistle, St. Paul marvels at the, uh, the mystery that's been revealed to him that, that Jesus is Lord of all, Gentiles and Jews. And our gospel today features the Gentile wise men humbly bowing before the Savior. Of course, there's a lot of unanswered questions about those uh, visitors from the East, aren't there? From where did they really come? How many were there? Were there three? Were they kings? Matthew doesn't answer those questions for us. Neither does he answer the one that really intrigues me the most. And that is, how did they know that that star they were following was his star? A, a baby, a Jew, born so far from their homeland. Only God knows the answer to that question. Now, maybe Matthew at one time knew and just decided not to include it in his gospel, or, or maybe he knew no more than he told. It doesn't matter. He told us enough. He told us what we need to know. And that is that these men somehow knew that Christ is over all, and therefore they were willing to submit to him. See, Matthew gives us the one vital piece of information that we absolutely need. When those men found the child, they worshipped him. Matthew didn't include all of the details about this visit, but he did include the most important one. They worshipped him. And worship is the highest form of praise that people can give to God. Of course, not everyone does that. We know that not everybody acknowledges that Christ is over all. Herod certainly didn't. He's really a prime example, isn't he, of, of what it means to make yourself rather than Jesus number one in your life. And in Herod's estimation, he was the king of the Jews. That title belonged to him. 
He wasn't about to share it with anybody, least of all some baby born in Bethlehem. That's why he was so troubled by all the questions that were asked by those magi, the, uh, the wise men from the east, by their inquiries about the one whom they said was born king of the Jews. Funny, isn't it? Herod was a, a wealthy man, powerful, in good standing with the Roman rulers of Israel, and still he was worried. But isn't that the way it always is with those who place themselves ahead of God? Because they're in a very precarious position. They have to worry and work to hold on to what they have because they really are are fighting against God's order of things where Christ is over all. Herod wouldn't admit that. He couldn't. His pride... His thirst for power would not allow for that kind of nonsense. So he had to come up with some way to keep himself on top and in control. That's why he lied to the Magi about wanting to worship Jesus with them. And why, as we're told just a few verses later in Matthew's gospel, that um, instead of going to worship Jesus, he sent his soldiers to try to murder him to murder all the boys two years and under who were living in and around Bethlehem. Consider not only the cruelty of that action, but also the absurdity of it, the the audacity. Think of the arrogance and the foolishness of Herod. He was willing to take on God, to fight against the Almighty himself. And he had to have known on some level that that's what he was doing. He was well acquainted with the the Old Testament scriptures that that prophesied the coming of the Messiah. He, He knew enough to ask the Jewish religious scholars where the one born king of the Jews was to be born. And he knew that those men had followed for hundreds of miles this miraculous star. All of these things should have made it crystal clear. That God was at work here. And yet, Herod thought himself capable of stopping God's plan before it even really had begun. All because he was unwilling to admit that Christ is over all. But isn't that the fundamental issue for us just as much as it was for Herod. I'm not comparing us to Herod. We're nothing like him. Well, except in one way. And that is that every day, many times every day, whether it's a conscious decision or not, we are choosing who will be number one in our lives. So how about it? Who's number one in your life? Well, Jesus, we answer with with all sincerity and, and the best of intentions. We know that Christ is over all, and and we're glad about that. Except for those times when we aren't. When we fret and, and worry. Or when we think that Jesus is asking too much of us at, at such times. 
We either are forgetting or we're just choosing to ignore that Christ is overall. We're placing ourselves ahead of him, trusting our way rather than his. In this new year, can we work harder to avoid that? To remember and, and rejoice in the truth that he is over all, over us. And that's a good thing. I have a suggestion for, for how we, we might be able to, uh, to be a little more intentional about that anyway. I, it, it, we're pretty good, aren't we, at asking God to bless us? And I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But, but I am suggesting that, that every time, well, at least maybe today and if it continues, great. But, but instead of asking for God to bless us in the coming year, how about if we asked him to lead us in the year which lies ahead? So here's the, the problem. Again, it's not wrong to, to ask that God would bless us, but, but if that's pretty much all we're doing, where's the focus then? Isn't it on ourselves? God, here's what I want you to do for me. Here's what I want you to give me, how, how I want you to bless me. That sounds an awful lot like making me number one in my life. But when we're able to pray, Lord, lead me, in the way you want me to go. Help me to follow your leading. That's a way to at least begin to work at putting him first in our life. And you know what? This is such an amazing thing to me, but it's, but it's, it's certainly very true. If we seek his blessing, see if you don't agree with this. If we, I'm sorry, if we seek his leading, we will receive his blessing. If we seek his leading, we will receive his blessing. That's the way it works in the kingdom of God. So how do we go about that? What would it look like to follow his leading? There's no star out in front of us like there was for those magi. Well, actually there is. Just not the same kind of star. You'll notice when we sing our, our closing hymn, this morning. The very first verse has a wonderful phrase. The star of my life is Jesus. So we follow him. And today we think of how we follow the example of those who followed his star all the way to Bethlehem. The origin of, of those visitors from the east is shrouded in mystery. But the worship of the Magi is clearly described for us by Matthew. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They worshiped him. And what might that look like in our lives? Well, there are three primary components to just in that verse of the worship of the Magi. Three ways that we might also consider how in our daily lives we are able to worship the Savior. The first involves sacrifice. Because their worship began long before they went into that house. 
Their worship began as soon as they saw the star and somehow realized what it was to whatever degree and uh, saddled up, mounted their camels or whatever they rode and went on that uh, very long and hard journey. Some scholars think it may have taken up to a year for them to do that. Besides saddle sores, I'm wondering what that trip did for their business. I don't know what kind of business they were in, but I do know it'd be pretty hard to conduct business if you're gone for a year. Didn't have laptops, you know, or, or cell phones or, or any form of wireless communication. <laughs> well, actually, it was all wireless, but you know what I mean. So part of their worship, ours as well, can, can be a willingness to sacrifice time, effort for the Lord. Second component of, of their worship was humility, demonstrated in a couple ways in, our, in that verse. First one is when they went into the house. You know, they didn't sit outside and honk the horn or text and say, I'm here, come on out. No, they dismounted and they humbly went into that home. And then they did what always catches our attention. They, they fell down before him. And, and that's what they did. That's what the word means. They, they prostrated themselves on the ground before him. Tremendous act of humility. And then Matthew tells us they opened their treasures and, and offered to him costly gifts. Gold and, and frankincense and myrrh. And one thing that always impresses me about those gifts is that they were given, at least as far as I can tell, without any expectation of, of receiving something in return or, or themselves receiving some benefit from it or, or, or some practical reason for that. I, you know, it's so easy for us to lose sight of that, especially, you know, in December we're always talking about, uh, well, we're, how are we going to finish up the year financially as a congregation? And, and our offerings reflect our desire for that not to happen, and thank you for that. But, but it's January now, so we don't have to think in those terms. Rather, we can think of the offerings that we bring to the Lord. Costly, generous offerings that simply are meant to praise the one whom we adore. Like those gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gifts that were fit for a king. And more than that, gifts that were fit for the Christ, who is the king of kings. The Christ, who is over all. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and, and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.